Hello, and welcome back to The Stakes After Dark for our second night of Republican National Convention coverage. I'm Holly Anderson, MTV's Director of Politics and News, and I'm going to be here all week. Help. The theme of tonight's presentation was Make America Work Again, and joining me here in our New York studio to help me figure out why that sounds vaguely threatening are my deputy editor, Julianne Ross. Hello. As well as MTV's very own Jane Koston. Hello. And MTV's Jamie Fuller. Hi. Let's get into it. Your headline from this afternoon, Donald Trump is now the Republican nominee for president. They really went through with it. They did. They went through the state's roll call and everything, which meant being treated to a book report about each state's major exports, so the day wasn't a total loss. Uh, I'm not kidding about that. I'm really not. As the delegations get up to report their vote allocations, they all take a minute to recite neat facts about their states that they were forced to memorize in the fourth grade. Highlights from today included... Arkansas saying we cast our lines for trout and we cast our votes for Donald Trump. A Connecticut delegate touting Connecticut's production of nuclear submarines while mispronouncing nuclear. Florida's delegation mentioning they gave LeBron his first two championships. They were not after set upon by wild boars, uh, to my increasing disappointment. Uh, Guam's delegation just bragged that it was already Wednesday there and we are consumed by jealousy of Guam right now. Uh, Kentucky's microwaved precious moments doll of a governor incorrectly claiming they manufacture the F-150. Maryland bragging on having the oldest state capital in continuous use. That's very specific. Kansas and Missouri fighting over who has the right to brag about the Royals, which I'm told is a baseball team. And an honestly distractingly sensual introduction from Oregon uh, talking about their hazelnuts and Pinot Noir and serene high deserts. It was it was a nice a nice break into the emotional heart of things. Uh, but the theme of tonight's convention session, as we heard earlier, was make America work again. And indeed, we find ourselves utterly drained after several hours of attempting to hang on to the plot. What was a natural, if distasteful, motif for Monday night's events turned out just as clamorous and disjointed Tuesday night as we continued to hear every one of the exhaustive and exhausting list of speakers' innermost slam book thoughts on Hillary Clinton. Jamie, I'm going to throw this over to you. You wrote a piece for us today about the rhetoric that's being deployed against Hillary and how it sets itself apart from both rhetoric on the Democratic side and rhetoric from previous Republican iterations uh, of the convention. I'm not sure about how different it is. I think conventions are united in their uh, ability to not really talk about any policy uh, and complain about the opponent. This one was a little different in that usually uh, politicians are arguing that their opponent's policies are bad and try to just stray away with, from personal attacks while yesterday and today were punctuated by delegates yelling, lock her up over and over again and guilty. And uh, there was one speaker who said that she should be in stripes. And that was a tone for or all of Monday and all of Tuesday. And uh, 538 looked and they found that on Tuesday, which was Make America Work Again night, Hillary and Clinton were the most spoken words, and work was it tied for 10th. Uh, <laughs> so it, it, it's clear that uh, in a moment when you expect the party to look forward, 
show off their new faces who might show up in four years. They instead are just kind of relitigating the past 20 years, uh, the entire election cycle, and just making voters who already feel good about Trump feel even better. Uh, and since only about 4% of the country isn't sure whether they have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of Hillary Clinton. There's not much to work with there. So all, all you're doing is making Trump voters feel good. And as you can see by what was talked about, Hillary Clinton, and not a lot of work, this means that we're not actually learning anything useful about what Donald Trump would do as president. They need an I, editor. I'm sure everything will turn out just fine. It, it's probably all going to be fine. I mean, I think that the response to that, though, is that like Donald Trump has no plan for whatever he would do as president. There, there is no road. There is no way forward. There is just, well, we just don't want Hillary. Jane, you uh, have a special personal tie to one of the few tangible things we did see happen today. Can you explain to our audience who had better things to do with their day why the D.C. delegation uh, and a couple other delegations were so upset? So the D.C. delegation, the good people who are the Republicans from the District of Columbia, all 20 of them, uh, they gave their votes to Rubio and Kasich. None of them gave their votes to Trump. The Republican National Committee then changed their votes and made it 19 votes for Trump. And there was nothing they could do about it. Why not? Uh, Because that apparently is convention rules as of today. So you're saying that starting now, Republicans are upset about people's votes not being counted. Yeah, it's funny how that's working, especially for D.C. That's weird. A place that's not allowed to become a state because it's too heavily Democrat and they shouldn't be allowed to vote. Well, I suppose if we had any, you know, fluids left in their irony glands, we wouldn't have had this convention at all. It's true. So, okay, what do we know? Let's back up. We know a lot about what this party is against. Uh we Well, I say a lot. We know the one person that this party is against. We do not know much of anything about what it is for. Uh, Jane, as you said, particularly now that they've yoked themselves to Donald Trump, who has been uh, heavy on the sentence fragments and light on the policy statements of any nature. And one of the things that I thought was most interesting about today is the split between people scrambling, climbing over each other to be the first to shout out their own little personal connection to Donald Trump. There were two speakers who claimed to be the first to endorse him for president. Uh, There were states bragging on such specific stats as widest margin of victory for Trump. And yet, on the other end of the scale, you've still got the Never Trump movement uh, still out there making noise. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of people in the middle, which, Jamie, speaks to your point that People have made up their minds one way or the other on the convention floor uh, and in the population as a whole, what they think about this guy. And that really bore out in the theatrics of what we were seeing. When people were talking about Hillary, the audience got up and hollered and stomped. And when we heard about policy, it was it was just crickets in there. Uh, Julie, was there one thing that you learned today? Um, I learned where Pez are made. Where's that? Connecticut. That's also where they make mispronounced nuclear submarines. So that's two things that we've learned today. Two things. Yeah. No, it was really hard. I mean, as both Jamie and Jane have pointed out, it's really hard to like glean anything that they're for when they're spending so much time denouncing the candidate, which, you know, is, you know, I guess part of politics. But, you know, there is no cohesive um, ideology 
really to be gleaned from this, at least, you know, at an event like tonight where 90% of the time is spent talking about Hillary. And so, yeah, I, I don't really know at this point. And I don't think a lot of the public knows. And I think that's a problem. And I think that, um, yeah, it comes when you devote your time to just basically shitting on your kid, the, your opponent rather than having a platform. And it was something that that New Yorker article about like Trump's ghostwriter, he mentioned, you know, like, I'm not scared of his ideology because I don't think he has one. I'm more scared of, you know, his personality. But it just, that came to mind when I was watching tonight where it was just like, you know, they're sort of scrambling to make anything cohesive come out of this. Jane, you are our DC correspondent. You are also the person who's most deeply steeped uh, on our staff in the writings and thinkings of the ideological right. Uh, as someone who, just in your case, you know, edited a conservative college newspaper, what are you thinking about what you've seen today as far as what a Trump presidency could really look like? Well, I mean, I think that that really goes off Julie's point is that we have no idea. There is no plan. Um, I joked in something I wrote today that, you know, if Donald Trump actually looked into all the things he said he's going to look into, we would do nothing but that. We would just be looking into things for the rest of our lives. Like, there is no coherent plan. It's basically like he's trying to run for sixth grade class president and just wants to give us all cupcakes and pizza and tell us that the other kids are bad and mean and have been talking about us behind our back. And But there is no plan. And I think it's been interesting kind of seeing kind of the right, I mean, the thoughtful right thinking through this and basically just being like a part of my soul just died. I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe, you know, we're nominating this person for the presidency all because, you know, he promised us cupcakes and told us the kids in the other class are talking bad about us behind our backs. Jamie, what'd you learn today? Uh, It was just more of a confirmation of what we knew already. Uh, I guess the big thing will be to wait until next week and find out if the Democratic Party is going to fall into some of the same thing, which is depressing, but we're kind of used to it at this point. At least it's not our job to marinate in this 18 hours a day for the next 112 days. On that note, we're going to close things out tonight by checking in with our intrepid adult human reporter, senior political correspondent Anna Marie Cox. She's working the floor at the queue all week and has been speaking to honest-to-goodness Republicans out in the wild. Tonight, she speaks with a conventioneer who tries to bridge the gap between fantasy and reality when it comes to the GOP's newest catchphrase, law and order. One of the big themes at the convention has been law and order. And so I've been curious, what do you think people are worried about? Like, what is the fear that law and order is there to, you know, help people feel better about? Well, I think some people feel physically insecure. You know, we've seen terrorist attacks here in this country. We've seen terrorist attacks in Europe. Um, they feel that having an open, unsecured border is a threat that, you know, anybody can come through. Um, you know, they feel threatened that, you know, uh, sort of gang warfare and other crimes in, in major cities are dominated in large part by, by immigrant gangs. And so I think there's a big part of that. But I think more importantly, it's that, that law and order part. People feel that if some laws can be broken without consequences, then it's only going to be it's only a matter of time before more and more laws are allowed to be broken without consequences. And uh, if, you know, if we're if we're allowed to break immigration laws and what other laws can we break and, and things start breaking down, I think like that. OK, a few things. Now, you're aware I'm sure that statistically those kinds of crimes, the ones, the terrorist crimes and the and gang crimes are actually not super high. But statistically, people are, that's not a, that's not an actual threat. 
Well, you know, I think politics is, is not just about the facts, about how people feel on both sides of the aisle. And I think that when a significant portion of the population says we feel in a certain way, you know, we're only doing a disservice to them and to ourselves to ignore them. And in similar way, I think that, you know, we have to reconcile the law and order, uh, you know, demands of some part of the population with other parts of the population that say that they're being treated unfairly. And many people might disagree that they're being treated unfairly. But if they feel that way, we should listen to them and, and address and try to resolve those issues. So I think that the solution is not to pit one per, you know, one group of people versus another. I think the solution is to find you know, ways to address the concerns that African Americans have, that white Americans have, that Latinos have. All of them have, I think, important and legitimate concerns. And we should listen to them and do our best to come together and address them. And I think personally, I think you're making a really good point. And I, I even I agree with a lot of what you're saying. But it seems like the nominee of the party is the the message that he puts forward is definitely not one of let's all work together. I mean, he he's there are losers and haters and and people who do, who are out to get other people. It's not a it's not a message about working together. Well, I think that's on both sides. I mean, on the right side, they call people on the other side names. On the left side, they call people on the right side names. I think it's part of the polarization of politics. You know, I think part of the issue and the reason that both sides are so polarized is because instead of addressing the concerns of the other side, we call them names. And it just becomes people get farther apart. With that said, I think Donald Trump wasn't my first choice. I would have preferred somebody with a different tone, uh, different rhetoric. Uh, I preferred Marco Rubio. I thought he really was the best candidate to bring our country together and also be able to address the issues on all sides. But at the same time, I think that there are legitimate concerns that Trump and, and his you know, strongest supporters have. I think the, the, our immigration system is broken. Our border is broken. And I think for many of them, it also comes down to they feel that the other side is telling them that, that people across the world have a right to emigrate here. That if you, if you challenge open borders, that you're a racist. They feel like they're being you know, unfairly attacked for those things. I think that it's only natural. I think it's only right that we're able to discuss the option of closing the border. We may or may not do it, but to, to get to a point where we're not even allowed to suggest that without you know, being called a racist, something like that. Well, to be fair, the closing the border part wasn't something about let's close the border to everybody. It was actually suggested that we close the border specifically to people of the Muslim religion. Well, you know... That is, that is different than saying we should close the border. I mean, I was thinking more about, uh, you know, our southern border and, and mass migration over the southern border. You know, I don't agree with cutting off all immigration, you know, just based on whether somebody is Muslim. I do think that there are other proxies that we can pursue, for example, eliminating immigration from certain countries, um, but not because they're... Muslim, but because they're in a war zone or they come from an area that's highly destabilized, you know, they they may seem very similar arguments. But I think if you make that argument that you know we we probably should not be admitting uh, you know thousands of refugees from Syria, there may be a humanitarian cause, a humanitarian argument. Um, but I think what many people feel, in particular here at this convention, is that we should stop doing things based on what's best for the world and do things based on what's best for America. From all of us here at MTV News, thanks for listening. We'll be back again tomorrow night, whether you and we like it or not, with more updates from the convention floor in Cleveland and our orbital view here in New York. Thanks for listening.